Ah, there are strange things happening in that part of the world. Those are protests on Good Vibrations Records. That's called Don't Ring Me Up. And the catalogue numbers for uh, Good Vibrations Records are GOT. GOT 1, I suppose, was the Rudy single, which we played you a few times. GOT, GOT 2 was the Victim's Strange Thing by Night. GOT 3 was the Outcast, Just Another Teenage Rebel. I played you that. GOT 5, which is Right Way Home by the Extremists, I haven't had yet. And uh, Protect's record, which I just played you, is GOT 6. Well, you probably thinking he left out GOT4. What can that possibly be? Oh, come on, you must know by now. Record got me. Hi, I'm Rob Elba here. It's great to have you guys here again. I'm doing this on a Thursday instead of a Wednesday because do you guys know what I did last night? I I actually went to a show. I I went to a show. Yeah, I haven't been in a year. It's been over a year since I've gone to a show, but uh, someone last minute had tickets to see Hollow Notes, which honestly I had no interest in, but Squeeze was opening for Hollow Notes, which we uh, recently, yeah, we did our Squeeze episode. And Peter Norris mentioned that Squeeze was uh, on tour with Hall Notes, and lo and behold, I got to see Squeeze last night at the Hard Rock in Hollywood, and they were awesome, man. They were really good, and honestly, me and my wife, we stayed about three or four songs in Hall Notes. We both looked at each other and said, out. <laughs> and we're out. They're all right. They're fine. They're all right. It's just not my cup of tea, you know? I mean, I, 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 I knew every song they were playing, and I knew I would know most all their songs, but it's just, you know, I didn't need to hear that. But, so um, we, we, my wife and I went to a real COVID performance about two weeks ago in a yard on the south side of Chicago in the Beverly neighborhood. We saw Steve Wynn playing for 35 people. Oh, really? Yeah, he was oh, great. Wow. Was that like one? Did he do like a um, a, a backyard show? Was that something where they, they sold? Yeah, like, he's tickets? doing a tour of like house parties. And, um, That's cool. And I've never. And, yeah, some people yeah. have come through down here in South Florida and done that. I've never gotten to actually go to one, but man, that's awesome. So, by the yeah. way, you guys are hearing this uh, ghostly voice, and you don't even know uh, my guest. But I guess I should introduce him because he was nice enough to um, postpone doing this uh, one night. I said, "Hey, I got something last minute. Is it fine?" And he said, "Fine." I'm guessing because you probably didn't have much else going on. But mm-hmm. uh, like, welcome to the show, Mr. Michael Mick. Okay, we're going to call you Mick, right? Mick Hans. Yep, Mick. Yep. All right, hi, Mick Hans. How you doing? Hi, hi everybody. Nice to talk to you. I'm, I'm good. And you are, I guess, uh, you let the cat out of the bag where you are. You're in Chicago, in Chicago. or you're in like the Chicago area, or are you actually? In I am Chicago? in the city of Chicago. Oh, nice. Northwest okay. side. All I know about you, uh, Mick. All I have written down is Mick lives in Chicago, and he is not a musician because that's Correct. basically. <laughs> what you I'm, told I'm me. just a fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a music fan. I, I've actually. But I am honored to be in any group that includes. Ira Robbins and somebody who was once in the Jacobites. Oh, right. Among others. Among oh, okay. Many luminaries. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's luminaries. And, and you know, something I've found, I've noticed over the years is that a lot of times people that aren't musicians are actually better fans, better music fans than people that are musicians. I don't know. Well, I don't know what it we'll is. Like, sometimes they come, uh, you, they come at it more purely, you know, uh, there, there's a certain thing, uh, when you're a musician, which I don't know. I mean, I'm a musician, but I'm not compared to real musicians. I'm not even much of a musician either. But you just sort of it's like sort of knowing a little bit what's behind the curtain. And that usually doesn't help anything, you know. So sometimes it's better off just uh, being a fan, being a music fan. And I don't know. That, that, that's just my theory. Uh, I don't even know. I, that's I, I only know what I know and it'll come out in my comments. Exactly. So we'll, we'll find out. Right. All right. So, Mick, I was actually really excited uh, from what you picked to talk about. No one has picked them yet, but although they have been mentioned before and we've even, um, I think maybe on one of the patron episodes, someone may have done a song by them before, but what is the, uh, what is the band and record we are talking about tonight? We are going to listen to the debut record by The Undertones. From Derry, Northern Ireland. Derry, Northern Ireland formed. I didn't realize I was reading about them that they formed in 1974. 
So and, right. and, and they were like really young. They were kid kids. Yes. Um, so did you read um, the Michael Bradley book, Rob, like I did last week? I did not. I did not. Okay, so I have read twice now um, Michael Bradley's book. Michael Bradley was the bass player, the funny one in the undertones. Ah. And the, the name of the book is, shockingly enough, Teenage Kicks. Right. Came out about five years ago. Okay. And uh, he also goes by Vicky Bradley sometimes. So I got a few comments to come out of that. But yeah, they, uh, they were formed as teenagers, young teenagers, um, in, uh, in Derry, which is a town of about 100,000 from Northern Ireland, second biggest city, I think, in the mid-70s. And they were all schoolmates, pretty much. Um, the O'Neill brothers, John the older one, and Damien the younger one, both play guitar, but Damien's the lead player. Uh, Michael Bradley, Billy Doherty, the drummer, and Fergal Sharkey, who most of us can, you can only name one undertone, you can name Fergal. Fergal, and I'm, I'm glad you said it, because at first I was looking, is it Fergal? But then I actually looked it up and I uh, ascertained that it is. You're Fergal. getting my Midwest pronunciation, so I no, no, I, some I, Irish stuff here. <laughs> I think you're right, though. I think it is yeah. uh, Fergal. And um, yeah, I mean, every I, I, I guess anyone that's into, um, into punk, into new wave, knows the undertones because you've you've heard at least you've heard teenage kicks but you probably heard right. other songs by them um and i forgot and i had this record uh back in the day obviously hadn't listened to it in a while but man i just forgot what a great record this is i mean yeah. there, there is not a bad song on this first it's record. like a buzzcocks record it really is yes ex exactly it's, yeah pound for pound it's really good yeah it is and they were sort of uh they were obviously big fans of what american band what what band were they huge fans of? They were known as the Irish Ramones. The Irish Ramones, and even so far as when they when they took the picture for this, they wanted it to be black and white and something with a wall, so it would be close to the Ramones' first record. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, though um, they were, they certainly were riffing on the Ramones and inspired by the Ramones. Um, and we'll be talking about that, but they weren't. Um, they weren't sniffing glue like the Ramones. No, no, um, no, no. And and actually, they, they weren't not, down at fifty third and third. Yeah, and yeah. Whatever Dee was doing. Right. Um, they were nice Irish boys. Right, right. They were. And and the one thing I always thought was interesting about them is how they they were from this this area, Darien, uh, Northern Ireland, that uh, with the uh, troubles and everything, the late seventies. But they didn't really write about that stuff hardly at all. You know. No, they were really just uh, schoolboys who bought the NME every week and discovered punk and wanted to be in a band. Right. And they, they weren't really particularly interested in being political. I think the O'Neills got a tiny bit political in some of their later bands because they were both in um, that petrol emotion, among others, later. Right, right. But the undertones were never political. They were basically a pop punk, pop punk band. And then they even explored some other stuff in later records. Right. Yeah, yeah, and their uh, even their second record is really good too, and and I always love that they kind of uh, address that on their second record with that song. Uh, Here's more songs about chocolate and girls, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, they took their own piss. Yeah. Um, all right, so they were discovered. Well, that's discovered, but they were championed by John Peel, right? John Peel loved them. Right. Um, they, they originally did a, a four-song EP. Um, one of the songs was Teenage Kicks, uh, and they were pretty much breaking up at that point. This was in mid-'78, and they sort of did it just to have a souvenir. Oh, really? Be, oh, I didn't realize that. broken up soon. Yeah, Fergal quit several times over the years, and some uh. others did too. Um, and... Uh, uh, but they, they got the four-song EP together. It was put out by a record store in Belfast that had a small label called Good Vibrations. And they got it in front of John Peel very quickly, like in a matter of weeks. And John Peel just loved it. And uh, according to legend, the second time he played it on his show, he played it twice in a row. Yes, it was so good. I read that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, he. And... I mean, he was he was a fan. He he had said that he he uh, said that Teenage Kicks was his favorite single of, of all time. And you could think, ah, maybe he's just saying that hyperbole. But uh, I, I read when he died, uh, it was played at his funeral, mm-hmm. and on the on on his tombstone are the words "Teenage Dream So Hard to Beat." Yep. So um, I mean, there's uh, a there's a legacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, no, I mean, without John Peel, they'd have probably been an anecdote who had one good single, but they had a career as as a result. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, and it's amazing, but uh, man, the, those guys and and the O'Neill, the the, uh, the other guys in the band wrote a little too, but the O'Neill brothers, which originally you didn't mention, but uh, before Damien, uh, Vincent O'Neill, their older brother, played in the band for a little bit, right? But then he was replaced by his younger brother. Right. And yes, actually, uh, Vinny was um, Michael Bradley's <laughs> best friend, I guess. John was older. I think right. John. Oh, okay, okay. You know, John was, I think, about 20, maybe. Well, no, we'll work on the dates later. But when, when they were prominent in 79, 80, they were basically all late teenagers, you know, somewhere from about 17 to 21. And, but it was basically John's band. He was the leader of the band. Right, right, right. So he didn't ever seem to want to be a front band, a front man, um, in that in the early undertones, anyway. No, and uh, good for him. And uh, for I mean, aside from just uh, them having such great songs and uh, just being uh, great, you know, simple players, but really good, good players. Um, Fergal's voice is a big part of them because you just can't mm-hmm. forget there's there's no other singer like him that sounds like him and especially in in this genre of music. Yeah, yeah, unmistakable voice. Um, apparently, Fergal um, won, and I'm going to butcher the name. Uh, he was a perennial winner of I believe it's called Fice competitions, F E I S, in Derry, which is traditional Irish song and dance competitions. Oh, okay, it's pretty common. <laughs> So um, every the other guys in the band who were kind of a gang, and then they added Fergal, um, knew Fergal as that guy who always won the fights and had you know a wall full of trophies. Right. So he, he was a every, everybody in the neighborhood knew he could sing. You know when he was twelve years old, apparently. Oh, okay, okay, nice. All right, so let's get into this record. It opens up with a with a great song, uh, which I had no idea until now that it's kind of toying with. Uh, Incest a little? No, man. I have no idea. Let's listen to a little bit of family entertainment. I mean, how could you not fall in love with the band instantly from that first? Yeah, song? right into it. I think they uh, they were picking up a little bit of the "We're a Happy Family" vibe from the Ramones. Yes, right. That that's the first thing I thought of. Although, yep. it's funny as similar in in some ways as you could say they were. It's really not. It, it kind of shows how much depth there really is. Even though you wouldn't think to like. Um, this early uh, punk band because you have bands like you know you have the the Ramones and the Buzzcocks and Undertones and they're they all have similarities but they're they really none of them sound like each other they all have their own sounds because this that there's it, in just in a lot of ways it doesn't even though it's they're simple songs really catchy sort of pop songs but played heavy it doesn't really sound like the Ramones it, it's a totally different type of attack in a way right well, I think the basic guitar attack is similar, but it, lyrically it's a little different, and culturally they're at a different place. Um, wh- yeah. One thing I did notice on this song, um, which comes up in later in the record too, is like I was saying before, these were nice Irish boys, and there are quite a few mentions of you know, mummy's approval, oh, right, family right. approval throughout <laughs> the record. Right. You can't always hear it easily in the lyrics, but it, it's there when you when they print it out. Oh, okay. um, that's clearly something they were worrying about more than just you know the the more Richard Hell kind of um, you know punk view. Right, um, right, right. Mama's boys. So they were kind of like Mama's boys, probably. Well, they didn't want they didn't want things to be disapproved of for sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. So this second song, uh, Girls Don't Like It, this is the song that I realized the band that I feel like they're more like than any of those bands we mentioned. Uh, and let's listen to it first, and then I'm going to tell you what it is. It starts out with this, really uh, obviously, like a thing well, from the Shangri-Las, like a Shangri-Las type Betty, thing, right? With two mm-hmm. girls. And I've got, I've got some thoughts on that, too. So yeah. Let's listen. All right, let's listen to it. Girls don't like it. driving that car and yeah i don't go for him do you well first of all do you have any idea who those girls were um i found um so i've got a 1994 rico cd compilation of theirs and on the notes to that one it says one of those voices is lena lovett uh, really yeah and then i dug a little deeper and the producer of this record is roger pacherian um, who produced the first two Lena Lovitz records. And um, I think East Side Story, Squeeze Record, and was either an engineer or producer or sidekick to a whole bunch of Nick Lowe and Elvis Costello stuff in that period. You know, the really prime stuff we all fell in love with. Right, right, right. And I think one of the things that's really fun about the undertones and a lot of stuff from the early you know, punk new wave days as we knew it in America, is there's a sense of fun and playfulness um, that came out in a lot of those records. Oh, yeah. Um, we, you know, um, you, and Roger Pachurian worked on a lot of them. And in some of the elements of it, and again, this is me not being a musician, but I hear it, um, there's little bits of carnival keyboards, I, I call them. Oh, yeah, right, in this right. Record. Yes. You know, there, there's little bits of musical business to start a song and then off we go. And there was a lot of that stuff in the early punk new wave days that were, was just fun and made it fun right? Um, for us here in the States before I was never a big hardcore fan. I thought, you know, didn't have any sense of humor. Right. And, right. Um, the undertones capture that, that fun period. Absolutely. For me. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. So the whole thing with the, with the, you know, the Shangri-Las homage at the beginning, you know what it made me think of in this song, listening to it, you know, the band that I, I, I I never hear them compared to, but I'm thinking they're a lot like the New York Dolls. Mm-hmm. This song yeah. could be a New York Dolls song. Just picture David Johansson singing it instead of Fergal Sharkin being like a little, you know, a little uh, grittier edge to it. And uh, you remember looking for a kiss uh, on their uh, on their debut, sure. which was 1973. They start with uh, when I say I'm in love, you best believe I'm in love, L.U.V. I feel like either I I, I I feel like they had to be uh, New York Dolls fans as well. So I can I can confirm that. Oh, okay. Read, read the Michael Bradley book. Um, so early on, you know, when they were young teens, they were doing Stones covers and Cream covers and Doctor Feelgood covers and Lindisfarne covers. Right. Specific to being in Ireland. Um, but then in '76, punk happened, and a friend of theirs named and I may butcher this, Dom Hall McDermott. No, it sounds good. <laughs> lent, lent them Dolls, Stooges, and uh, the Nuggets compilation records. And uh, off they went. And the Dolls and the Stooges and a lot of the Nuggets stuff, like the Standells, were part of their their early set when they were paying their dues at a local club for the first year and a half. Right. So, yeah, it's totally in there. And there's a, in my own notes later on, I say Dolls. Oh, okay, good. Because oh, there's, yeah, sure. there's, there's also an interesting little side bit because I read, uh, and it's ironic, that John Peel uh, loved the undertones, but he 
hated, supposedly he hated the New York Dolls. Really? <laughs> yes. That's I found weird. that a couple of things. Yeah, I'm just saying. And mm-hmm. you think it's inconsistent. Yeah. Why would he why would he hate the New York? But yeah, yeah. The, there's definitely um I love the Dolls. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, maybe I don't know. Maybe they didn't uh maybe they turned him down to do a uh, a session or something, but he hated them. So uh, yeah, yeah, I thought I, that know, was I, kind I, of ironic. I actually saw David Johansson right about the time this record came out in 79 when he oh, was really? touring uh, his first or second record and he was great yeah and so much and funny and you know oh yeah, yeah. A He's great crazy. band yeah all right so this next one male model this is the one that uh has more of a ramones vibe to me i i feel like it is because another sure. mm-hmm. and it's just a lot of their songs are just built on these guitar riffs but like really good guitar riffs that uh motifs that like carry you through the song and this is one of them mm-hmm. Women's magazines for fashion sense, but seeing all the prices there in pounds and pence reminds me that I can't afford to buy new clothes. I never get a chance to say I'll take those. I'll take those. I want to be a male model, and and there's some irony here because it, looking at the pictures of the band, none of them were really male model uh, mm-hmm. material. <laughs> no, and then they're mostly wearing. Um, I think they call them dairy skinners. You know, um, high ankles. Oh, okay, right. Jeans. You know. <laughs> Um, I always thought the lyric, the lyrics to this one were, I don't want to want to be a male model. Oh, your basic Ramones songwriting. Right. And and until I actually printed this out recently, I never realized it still works and it's still ironic. I always thought it was the negative part of it. I know, but the Ramones, I feel like the negative is more something Ramones would do. And that's another thing that kind of set them apart is that they would take the, Mm-hmm. positive instead of the negative right this song in particular was one of the reasons i kind of rediscovered the record a couple of years ago too um in chicago uh, you covered um a couple of months back uh, one of your guests did the first mekons record yes and uh, john langford who's the leader though he wouldn't call himself that of the mekons lives here in chicago and he's got another band called the waco brothers oh right some, right who are sort of a cash meets clash band who are a lot of fun um, if you ever see them on tour and they encore with uh, male model and uh, oh, nice. 20th century boy by T-Rex sometimes. Oh, nice. So I got, they play Chicago all the time. So that one sort of, Oh, I got to go back to the undertones. Oh, that's cool. The next one, speaking of the positive song, here's another like, uh, like positive thing. I got to get a, and do you know who they were referencing at the beginning of it? Cause I looked and I looked, I could not find anything. Is there a real uh, Jackie trainer? I don't know. Um, I'm not sure the song doesn't totally make sense, but this one and <laughs> Jimmy, right. Jimmy are both kind of like, you know, doomed protagonists. Yes. Yes. You know, it's a little Edward Gorey ish. Um, I, I'm not sure if it completely works, but you can get the vibe works. I got to get it works. Next time we'll have to do better. I got to get it. it. There you go. All right, let's listen to it. Let's listen to it.
be better. So I feel like maybe they're just referencing real people they knew. Because when he says, uh, when he's talking about little Shamey, I'm thinking someone named Seamus, right? Well, according to my AZ lyrics, which are as who knows how accurate they are, it's somebody named Jackie Trainer in the first in the first um, stanza, and then somebody named Little Jamie, which I think is somebody different. Oh, the second stanza. see, I my lyrics said they're both kind of shamey. I think it's I think it's shamey, short for shameless, but I don't know who knows. A to Z, by well, the way, I don't think A to Z is that accurate. <laughs> That's fair, <laughs> but, but it fits on one page with margins you can write. In. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, convenient. Sometimes you just have to go with it. Convenient. Yeah. No, this song also has got that that playful keyboard stuff I was talking about earlier. Yes, yes, which is which is really just, subtle. Puts a smile on your face. Yeah, really subtle, but yeah. it adds a lot to these songs, and it also. Mm-hmm. And and it sort of uh, telegraphs what uh, as they would go on because they uh, they continued to make really good records but they definitely they even took like a, had more of a soul sound as they went on especially their third and their fourth record uh, I think that was the direction that Fergal was going in you know they had horns and stuff but yeah right from the get go with the little keyboard flourishes yeah definitely add a, adds a lot to it and uh, you know it, it's great yeah, yeah like, I, I think that was mostly John uh, was discovering other stuff. Right, um, right, right. Actually, the first record I really bought that I remember was the third record, Positive Touch, which was sort of the new wave record, the horns and right, know, right. arrangements and stuff, which was a really good record. It is, it is. Oh, yeah, so, you know, I was going to ask you when you discovered, so uh, that was the first Undertones record that you got? Uh, that was the first one I bought. I mean, I knew I, I'm of the age, and I was a uh, you know I discovered punk in high school. So I was you, born you, in 1962. You already knew Teenage uh, Kicks. For sure. Yeah, so I knew Teenage Kicks from whenever we were hearing it in the states. I mean, they were a new wave punk band here, but they were a pop band in the UK. Right, right. Something fun I found, uh, just just to sort of give you an idea of how iconic a song te- Teenage Kicks is. I guess there's some British boy band, or there was, but they're probably not together. Busted, they're called Busted. And mm. if you look on YouTube at, at the uh, Brit Awards in 2004, live at the Brit Awards, they played this Teenage Kicks. And it's actually pretty good. They're just really young guys, you know, but they're playing, you know, they're a band. They're not like a boy band. They're like a boys that actually play instruments and, and they play it. And it's just cool because you could tell the people, everyone knew the song. It's the Brit Awards, you know, in 2004. But I don't know. To me, that I just thought that was that was awesome. To see, well, you know, well, I think if you were a teenager playing. in the UK, it's like most Right. Yeah, Everybody knew exactly. it. That's you know, for us, you kind of had to be a new wave kid didn't know the song that's true that's true and you i don't know well yeah if you were in a, a certain age and playing uh covers you would cover that song like i, I covered that song and you know whatever in high school it's part of the song yeah yeah and it was super super easy but not so easy to get the right feel for it though because you tend to want to play it too fast and if you play it too fast you sort of take away take away from it mm-hmm. so that was a problem with uh young punk guys that's we play everything too fast so so what i what i read was that uh something john o'neill wrote not that long ago he said he was trying to write a ramon song on this one. Oh, nice he did he wrote a good one <laughs> right and For sure. uh, apparently when they first got their ep home and listened to it um the band was all completely underwhelmed by this song Real. Oh yeah, it. that's right. I, I read that too. Actually, isn't that crazy? Yeah, and it's, they just hit a home run right out of the box. I know, and they're like, nah. <laughs> yeah. And it's got it's got hand claps in it too. Yeah, which it, it does. You don't see them doing in any of the videos, but again, that's one of those little touches. It is, yeah, you know, right. Yeah, that's a good it's, point. It's why I love the Flesh Tones is they do stuff, you know, tambourines and hand claps and yep, la la la's, you know, just make things fun. Yeah, that's a lot. 
All right, so now we get the drummer gets a writing credit. Look at that. Yes. Uh, and and uh, again, you got a little new wavy sound here starting to creep in again with the electric, especially the drums. I don't think they're actually electric drums, but they sound uh, the way they produced it. They sound kind of like uh, almost like electric. Now, are we talking about wrong way? Yes. Choruses with the backups and those keyboards there, it, it's, yeah. it's so good. Fergal sounds so good. Yeah, it's so great. That song is a minute 28, so it's it's pure Ramones. Yes, yes. And there's not, you know what, there's not one song on this record, I don't think over three minutes. I don't think there's anything over three I don't minutes. think so. But no. I think this is less than two. It is. It's 123. <laughs> yep. And I, I love, they, they, they put so much in these songs and those little things, you don't feel like, oh, that, that was too, oh, well, you may feel like it's a short song just because it's so great and you want to listen to it again. But there's nothing missing. You know, they just take out all the fat and they just, they, they for, for young guys, they just knew uh, how to get to the meat of a great pop song, you know? Yeah, no flab. Um, so that's actually, when I first discovered the podcast was actually when I as people do, sometimes you put the name of a band in into your podcast search and you just see what comes up. Right. And I discovered you guys by keying in the Angry Samoans. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> who, who are the masters of No Flab. Yes, that's true. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So that was actually the first time I discovered this this show and then I caught up on it. That's great. That's so funny. That episode, you know, it's funny how that episode came out. Me and Barry, we actually had a guest booked and they canceled on us that day of the show. Uh, we were ready. We were going to record that night and he canceled. So we said, what should we do? And then Barry said, what if we do uh, Angry Samoans record? And I go, okay, we can do that. So we just did that. Like no prep or anything. We just did that. So uh, you didn't need a lot. No, no, no. no. <laughs> That's why they, they wouldn't have wanted you to. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So uh, reaching back a little here on this next one, let's listen to it. And then you let me know who, uh, who this reminds you of. Especially, but even some of the rest of the songs. Who? It, it's not like it's any great uh, mystery. But who? Who? What? What band could you think of? Especially for the intro part. What does it remind you of? Who? Oh, the Who. But you know more. For me, the Kinks. Like where have all the good times gone? By the Kinks. Oh. The Who also, yeah, definitely. So they're reaching. I feel like they're reaching back a little too, which is which is cool that uh, that uh, they would do that because uh, obviously it, it was it was hard. I don't know if you were like that, but I I had a point where I didn't like any classic rock just because I was an idiot and I thought, well, I'm into punk rock now, so I can't like right. you know. 
<laughs> and there were a lot of bad Kinks records in the late seventies. Well, that's true. That's I had true. to rediscover the early ones. Yeah. yeah, but I but then pretty soon I became like a huge Kinks fan, and I mm-hmm. love the Kinks. But um, yeah, uh, so that's uh, good on them for not being uh, shy for uh, you know grabbing that a little. So so two thoughts on this. Number one is, I don't know what a jump boy is. Right. <laughs> I, I kind of hear it as you know these guys are jerks. You know, it may, maybe it's local slang. Oh, right, I think right, there right. is a little bit. Yeah. But it, it could just be something they made up. I, I don't know. Right. But there is a, a line here where they're talking about these uh, jump boys who are basically they're hitting on girls. They shoot for the moon, but they don't they don't score. Right. Um, to make it with girls who can't come to their room. So they fail. This is the second song where the guy who's on the hunt has failed. Right. Um, it also came up in uh, Girls Don't Like It. Yes, where the chorus yes. is, uh, you can't do that if you're on your own, but what else can you do yeah, if what the else girls can don't you do? like it? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, these are not conquering dudes. These are, they take no. <laughs> they do. They take no and they put their tails between their legs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they go back to their records. Good like, for them. You know, like they a really, lot of us did. <laughs> yeah, they really are good boys. They really are nice boys. Yeah. Uh, you could tell that. Um, yeah, they're not a lot of luck with the ladies. Maybe hopefully once they got a little more successful in it. Well, there, there's actually a point in the book, which is one of the least decadent rock books you're ever going to read. Oh, really? Where at one point, um, Michael Bradley says, and this is right after they've been on top of the pops and, you know, they're getting their momentum. Right. He says, and all of a sudden we had girlfriends. <laughs> oh, right, right. <laughs> you know, which they, they hadn't had before. <laughs> well, good for them. Good for them. Yeah. All right, so now we get another John O'Neill. This is the Beach Boys by way of the The not-so-summery Northern Ireland. Right, yeah. Well, yeah, Beach Boys, uh, Ramones. But this has got everything. It's got the super catchy chorus. It's got the organ, like the 50s-style organ. And it's got a... Uh, which I don't know, you're you not being a musician, but I know you. when you hear it, you know it. It's got a pitch raise where it, where the whole song mm. like raises a pitch. But this one, it's awesome because it raises pitch, but then it comes back down again, which is awesome because it's it's all in one minute and 42 seconds. But I really love this song. Uh, let's listen to a little bit of it. Here comes the song. <laughs> good and there's that pitch change uh, after the lead uh and there's another thing that sort of set them apart from the ramones that they actually did have leads very simple ones but they had Mm -hmm. you know leads in the songs right from the start damian o'neill is the the lead player who was the youngest guy in the band he's probably about 17 at this point nice this was a single too this is the fourth single from the from the record not be a single it is so good in the way in the second verse when they come in with the with the backups with the oh it's like it's so good yeah and like like the Ramones, I don't know what these guys know about beaches. Oh, right. All the pictures I've seen <laughs> of Northern Ireland in the 70s. I know. You know, you mostly see military on corners, you know, shaking people down. Yes, and, exactly. Uh, and they're all pale whites. So you know, they really can't go in the sun. <laughs> if yeah, there is There sun. are no, uh, no, no woody wagons with surfboards going by. Right. Yeah, we should. We didn't. We well, we talked about the cover, how they wanted the black and white wall. But uh, we didn't talk about the way they did it, like they sort of crop the picture and then just had like this beige background it is an ugly album cover the original album cover is not attractive at all <laughs> no no I, I i think they viewed themselves as real punks yes right <laughs> though, though they were probably a little more just keen obnoxious than real punk oh think, i'm sure i'm from sure. this viewpoint but right. i think they were the only punk band i think in Derry in the 70s oh right right so they had the whole game all right, so now we get the song that uh, was the B-side, I think, to the original uh, single, uh, mm-hmm. Teenage Kicks, Get Over You, which is uh, as good a song as Teenage Kicks, I think, right? As catchy. I think so. Yeah. As, yeah, as great. Uh, let's listen to a little bit of uh, Get Over You. <laughs> Get 
Yes. I scrawled um, New York Dolls. Oh, yeah, yeah. The dolls all over that one, too. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's so funny. You, it, it, It's not immediate something you would immediately think of, but once you get it in your head, oh, yeah, okay, you could totally hear uh, the New York Dolls playing that song, too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, so uh, Billy's third. I'm thinking maybe it's just the third song that the drummer, uh, Billy Dollar. That was my assumption. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I don't know what the second one is, though. Right, I know. Maybe it didn't, it didn't make didn't the make record. It. Yeah. yeah. Watching you, yeah. Which some some of the it's funny. Some of the lyrics don't make total sense, but they're just but but they're still great. Uh, it, it sounds like teen angst. Exactly, know. a lot of teen angst going. Uh, baby, oh, baby, it hurts. It hurts. Maybe yeah, it's a curse. You, you know, it rhymes. <laughs> All right, so now this next one, we get another fantastic riff. Uh, but this song's always I always really like this song, and I always I thought it's cool because I feel like. What they leave out of it makes it uh, more interesting. You know, let's listen to a little bit of Jimmy. Disappeared one day and no one saw the ambulance taking him away. Right, but they know, but but they leave out like just poor little Jimmy wouldn't let go, but wouldn't let go of what? Well, that's for <laughs> the, that's for the listener to decide. I mean, I this is artful songwriting. Right, I I know it's true. It's always like I always wondered like what I feel like there's one verse missing, like letting us know what happened between just him being small and no one listening to him, and then all of a sudden the ambulance is taking him away. Well, that may be the magic to the song because this one made it to number sixteen. This is the highest charting single on the album. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, uh, that's awesome. It, it also might be because they put it on green vinyl, ah, taking, taking okay. advantage of the obvious. Um, connections to ireland yes okay Sarah was well, hey. working it so they put it on green vinyl marketing yeah yeah why not one one interesting tidbit on this is that whenever the guys were back in Derry, and most of them i think continued to live there for a long time people would yell jimmy jimmy at them on the street oh and nice various <laughs> tough tough guys from around Derry would spot somebody and go jimmy jimmy oh that's so funny <laughs> Oh, well, I guess there's worse things they could have gotten yelled at them in, in yeah, theory, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, so this next one, uh, this next one has a different vibe than just about everything else on the record, right? True Confessions? Yeah, so this is actually one of the other songs on that original EP with Teenage Kicks. Oh, okay, um, The right. other two songs didn't even make the record. Yeah. Uh, I think they became B-sides. And um, Bradley in the book says, this was the first song he worked on anyway where he felt like, Oh, this kind of works as a song, I guess. This isn't bad. <laughs> and so it's I think him- this was like the first one he ever did that felt like, oh, 
I think I wrote a song. Right, right. And it's him singing the verses too, which actually makes it really mm-hmm. effective because it's him singing the verses and then Fergal comes in on the chorus. It's great. Mm-hmm. Let's listen to a little bit of True Confessions. sort of uh, telegraphing things to come maybe later on as as far as their sound. Maybe, yeah. It's got a little more of that synthy pop kind of... Yeah, um, yeah. Gary Newman, Ultravox kind of stuff going on there. Right, right. Which, uh, that petrol motion. Now, was he, uh, was the bass player in... That petrol um, emotion too? No, he was only in the um, in the undertones. Oh, okay. That was the O'Neill guy. It was the O'Neill. Uh, some other people. Yeah. Right. Which I was never. Were you a big fan? I was never a big fan. Well, I think their first or second record, and then I didn't follow them any longer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just didn't. It didn't, didn't grab me. Definitely not like this stuff. Having spent a lot of time with this record, I may start exploring a few more of these solo projects. But um, right, right. I, I have not checked them all out, and I didn't like Fergal's solo stuff much at all which is just sort of pop music for me anyway yeah i mean it's still he still had his voice which i always loved his voice but yeah definitely not uh yeah definitely not uh not what he you was were never a songwriter the other guys in the band were right exactly Virgil oddly didn't even write lyrics so i think he was a, he sang what was in front of him at the mer- and he was at the mercy of someone could write a good song for him or not. yeah yeah. Um, all right. So now we get another more more pop. This one, she's a runaround more pop than than punk, right? Well, one thing I noticed, if you listen to this one, all right, let's listen to a little bit, and then I'll tell you what I noticed about it. Let's listen to a little bit of "She's a Runaround." <laughs> are kind of nihilistic a little like something the Ramones would have done uh, she doesn't know why she's feeling sad she'll never get what she's never had she wants to leave home but she can't get away always on her own every single day but the, their delivery just makes it sound so fun and up you know it's just like a totally different approach uh, to it you know yeah it, it's a it's a happy record yeah even, even when they're down and, and right, again right, like, right. with with the Ramones counterpoint um even though they're, you know, they're criticizing this girl, she hasn't a clue. Um, he isn't saying he doesn't want to walk around with her and he's not going <laughs> to beat on her with a baseball right. bat or, you know, he's <laughs> not going to do Johnny and Dee stuff to her. Exactly. He doesn't want to go snip glue with her or anything. Yeah, yeah. Right. All right, so now we get I Know a Girl. This is just a simple 
I'm in love with a girl. It's great because these are young guys. You know, some of them are still teenagers. And and what are they writing about? They're writing about you know, girls. They're in love. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Uh, and this uh, and this one also has probably one of the most adventurous guitar breaks on the whole record. Listen to a little bit of "I Know a Girl." <laughs> Fun pop song. Like I said, great lead guitar there. And this next one, Listening In, has a great guitar. You mean that short little solo? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's it's so good, and 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 it shows even the lesser note. Like I thought in, in listening to this, I hadn't listened to it in a while, Mick, and I realized. Oh yeah, I remember these songs. But even like this one, listening in, I kind of didn't remember it, but it's still great. I mean, it's a great song right towards the end of it. Uh it's still a great song. Let's listen to a little bit of listening in. <laughs> Um, but on listening in, there is one lyrical line I've never understood. Wow, which one? It's clever, but on the carpet, you're so small. Who had you covered wall to wall? Nothing I could do, just listening in. Oh, right. Doesn't make any sense. No. You know, I get the listening in part. Um, well, I think he just wanted to put the wall because she was on the carpet. He wanted to put the wall to wall part in there, you know? Yeah, I'll go with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so good. And, and so well, well recorded. As simple as this record is, you could tell... This guy knew what he was doing, <laughs> recording these guys. Well, he'd been doing the Elvis and the Nick Lowe records yeah, before yeah. this, um, engineering them, if not producing them. But he had a, uh, you know, an imprint on all those records. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. And and just everything's just where it should be. Everything, you know, it just sounds great and uh, really d- did a great service to uh, all these songs, which is so... Um, it it sounds great, which is kind of it's jarring when you get to the final last song because it's so mysterious. This song has always seemed mysterious to me because it's so much low. It, it it's so lo-fi compared to the rest of the record, right? Are we talking about Casper Rock? Yeah. Do you know yeah. anything? Do you know like the history well, of this? I, uh, I have some thoughts on that. So 
yeah, Casbah Rock. So the Casbah was obviously the club that they would play at when they were a cover, when they were still a cover band, right? That was like the first place they yeah, played. Yeah, they basically paid their dues with a residency every weekend at this bar called the Casbah in right. Gary, where they, you know, they, they got good enough to really get their act together. Um, I've always assumed this was either like a sound check or maybe from an old live tape or something like that, and they kind of threw it on. Yeah. Just as an homage. Right. Because it doesn't even, it's not even a whole song. It's not, and it's kind of like uh, Louie Louie. It's kind of like their Louie Louie, right? But, uh, yeah. except it's a little uh, homage to the first club well, they played at. Well, the lyrics say, you know, you won't get pop at the Casbah Rock. And I think that's their way of saying, you know, we're a punk band. Right. Not a pop band. <laughs> so I've got another entry here I'm going to read for you. Yeah, do it. So this is about the club. The Casbah was where Dairy's Hippies went to drink. They could listen to hippie music, either from cassettes or hippie records, or from live hippie bands. I'm defining them as hippies because to us, they looked like hippies. They had long hair and flares. Of course, everyone in Derry had long hair and flares. <laughs> Teachers, civil servants, uncles. But if they drank in the Casbah, they were hippies. A simple logic that sustained the musical chips on our shoulders for the next year and a half. That's great. Yeah, I'm going to definitely, uh, I'm going to have to seek out that uh, that book. I love reading uh, rock, uh, you know, books, especially yeah, written I, by I, the people in bands. I, I've read way too many of them because most of them are all <laughs> the same. But th- this one is fun, and he's he's funny. This yeah. is the funny undertone. All right, awesome. Well, you were a great guest, uh, Mick. It was great having you on. Thanks. And uh, you brought, a, obviously, a great record. It's like, you know, how could you not? If you had done yeah, bad slam with dunk. this record, yeah. <laughs> it's a slam dunk. It is. But uh, I appreciate it. And uh, I don't know, do you have anything to, to plug? Do you have well, if you'll indulge me, I do have something to plug. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Um, plug it. Yeah. So um, recently unearthed and issued for the first time ever is a pink vinyl record by a band called The Veil, V-E-I-L, who are now known as Lorna Donnelly and The Veil, who were a Chicago band from the late 80s that had some interesting pedigree. Um, Lorna Donnelly, who was the bassist and singer, and David Thomas, uh, guitar player, were a couple at the time had both been in a band called Da, which um, has got an entry in one of the Crowder Press books and was an important band in the early Chicago punk days in the late 70s, early 80s. And uh, Dave played later in a band called The Interceptors with some guys who went on to Big Black. And their lead guitar player, a guy named Joe Haynes, who was an old friend of Dave's from St. Louis, um, had actually been in a high school band with Michael Stipe, of all things. Oh, okay. But um, they were a really good band, and they happened to be my neighbors at the time. Oh, okay. I was wondering what your connection was to all this. Yes, my first apartment in the Wrigleyville neighborhood. They lived in the coach house behind my rundown apartment. Oh, okay. Um, And, uh, uh, you know, they they put a band together, The Veil, which um, was sort of gothy, glammy power pop. I always sort of thought of them as kind of a gothy smithereens because the songs were really well constructed with kinks, nods, and things like that in it. And like a lot of bands, you know, they almost got there. You know, they, they played around town for a year and then they fell apart and were lost to history. Anyway, this is a band that was never, never made it. It's a never was, almost were. You right. know, I, I always thought they might show up someday as a 25-page article in Ugly Things. <laughs> but anyway, um, Dave was dropping off a bunch of old demo tapes at a thrift shop in Chicago a couple of years ago, just cleaning out his apartment, and a, a young guy named Eric Clements bought the stuff, took it home, fell in love with it, chased him down, chased me down and some other people too to find out what was going on. So he put out the album, it's on pink vinyl. Um, he's put a couple of um, videos together from very little tape that existed. So you can find it on uh, YouTube if anybody wants to sample it. And it's a, it's a really good record of its time and it's worth a listen oh yeah no i'll definitely play that i'll play that on the playout actually on here and i, I wonder do you know do they have like a band camp or something where someone could purchase it i think it's on band camp yeah. okay awesome. uh, lorna donnelly and the veil all right awesome yeah. well, look at that you did have something yeah. um <laughs> well once again it was great having you on mick uh don't forget guys the usual you know instagram facebook at that record got me high that facebook group got me high uh Twitter at TRGMH Podcast, TRGMH33 at gmail.com is where you email me. And Patreon. Don't forget, guys, if you want to go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH, you can become a patron of the show. And subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe and actually have a new... This has nothing to do with how you listen to the show, but I did transfer to a new 
podcast host, like a more robust host, more professional. So I should be able to get more like uh, better rankings on iTunes and stuff. So this would be a great time. If you haven't reviewed the show, you should definitely subscribe. But if you haven't reviewed us and you want to, especially on iTunes, go ahead and do it. Like I said, just make shit up. It doesn't matter. Just uh, do it. But that'll really, uh, that'll really help me. So do that. Uh, Mick, once again, great having you on. It was fun. All right. So uh, enjoy your time in Chicago. Uh, oh God, it's gonna start getting really cold here. Mm-hmm. All right. Once again, this is Rob here in lovely, cozy, warm South Florida. This is where I'm staying. I'm not going to Chicago anytime soon. I'll go maybe once uh, after this. <laughs> we'll some shows up there. All right. Thanks again for listening, guys. We'll see you next week.